If you'll turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we're just going to be looking at two verses today, 24 and 25. Before I read those verses, I want to put up on the screen a, a quote for you from Karl Barth. Uh, and, and this is an incredible quote about uh, the need for life together uh, as followers of Jesus, as a people that are centered around the person of Christ. And, and Bart writes this, without the knowledge of God, there is no meaningful togetherness of human beings. So he, he begins by making his argument that we have to have a right understanding of the gospel, uh, that we can't live together the way that we ought to unless we've been first born again, that the creative work of God's redemptive love in our lives is necessary. Uh, so we have to have a right knowledge of the, of the gospel to have a meaningful togetherness of human beings. No genuine collaboration, no genuine sympathy, no genuine shared joy, no genuine society. And work, now he switches it from, this, from our side, and work that is not collaboration is bustling idleness. Joy that is not shared joy is empty delight. Suffering that is not sympathy is dull pain. The human being who is not a fellow human being is inhuman. And this message is entitled One Another, which is a phrase that is used throughout the New Testament dozens and dozens of times, showing us that the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. As John Wesley often reminded the early Methodist people of the words of a friend, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion that proximity is essential to Christian life, that we have to be close enough to one another to do good or bad. And often we're so afraid of the bad that we refuse to get close. And I think that this is deeply problematic. And so I want to share with you a verse from Hebrews, a letter that was written by the preacher to a people in a church in a time where there was great persecution and more and more followers of Jesus were falling away from the faith or entering into the dangers of apostasy, rejecting their faith to save their own lives. And the writer of Hebrews lays out this beautiful presentation of the gospel as Jesus as the sympathetic high priest, that he's God enough to save us, but he's man enough to understand us. And it's a powerful presentation of the gospel. I, I, Romans and Hebrews are my two favorite books in the New Testament, probably for their, their practical mysticism, <laughs> if you will, an intimacy with Jesus that leads us into vibrant life in the world for the good of others because of our life with Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews, after he's presented all this powerful theological implications of Jesus uh, as the better Moses, Jesus as the fulfillment of the law, Jesus as the better sacrifice, he comes to this place where he says, therefore, how should we live based upon this fact that we have the freedom to enter boldly into the throne room of grace because of this once and for all sacrifice by the Son of God? How should we live? And he says in verses 24 and 25 of chapter 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And you may be thinking, wait a minute, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace, through faith. Well, hold on just a second. Let us stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Doesn't that seem like a verse that was written for today? Weird, the early church had a hard time getting to church as well. And all the more, and he goes on to say, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Now, I love what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, stir up one another to love and good works. In other words, if you want to grow into maturity, if you want to avoid the pitfalls, uh, the dangers of drifting, uh, we need to hold on to one another, hold fast to one another, because our growth in the gospel is dependent upon being attached to the body of Christ. As I said in the first message uh, of Life Together, this three-part series that Cameron and I are presenting to you as we're getting ready to enter into a, a season of community groups, and we want to be convincing that this is something that is essential to Christian group growth. It's not enough to just simply come once or twice a month to church on Sunday. That's not what it means to be a part of the church. You are the church. And it's not okay to say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church because the church is the bride of Christ. It's his body. If we get rid of the church, Jesus has no body. And I think that it's important for us to see the, the, the vitality that comes when a community is truly committed to one another. And obviously, there was problems within, within the community already, the, the natural tendency, the default setting of the human heart to set itself apart from others to try to define itself apart from others is at play even in the early church. And in, it, in the writer of Hebrews, the preacher says, he says, don't neglect getting together. It's very similar to what he writes in the very beginning of the book, which he says, he says how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What I would argue is that he is tying that idea together with this, is that you are neglecting your salvation when you neglect God's people that we are not born again into a vacuum, but we are born again into a family. And that the life that we are called to live in the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus is a life that is meant to be lived together. Proximity is essential. I like this because he says, stir up one another to love and good works. And then he says again, by encouraging one another. So in the center of it is like you got to actually be close enough, literally physically close enough. Your community is not your Facebook friends or the followers on Instagram. That's not your community. Your community are people that you actually interact with in a real tangible way that you can reach out and touch. I think this is important for us to understand Russ, you scared me so bad. I just caught you out of the corner of my eye, and I saw people look over there, and I didn't know what was happening. I was like, there's a man on the stage. Okay, the man is another pastor. See, we have to be close enough to one another to even be startled. We're so fearful of actually engaging in any sort of intimate fashion because here's the reality. When we open up our hearts to the lives of others, we run the risk of being hurt. But it's the only way in which you can actually do good. Nobody is going to be blessed by a life that has lived in isolation. I think that the essence of the Christian life, the essence of the gospel is a restoration of relationship. Heaven is restored relationship. Hell is the absence of relationship. Why do you want to live in hell on earth? That's not what God has for us. And see, I believe in order for us to be a conduit for an awakening in a city like Portland, we have to actually first live out our faith in proximity to one another. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I want to just lay out for you three things that I believe that the writer of Hebrews is telling us that we need to stir up in one another. That is love and good works and encouragement. 
But the thing is, is that those three phrases, love, good work, love, works, encouragement, those are words that are so familiar to us that we can actually create a simplified understanding of those words. And so I want to reframe them for you in a way that I, I hope will bring it some depth. Because when we say love, we can say a lot of things. I say I love all sorts of things. I'm the, the king of hyperbole. I like, if I'm excited about a record, it's the best record I've ever heard. I love it. You're going to love it. If I, I, I love to tell people that I love them, but words only carry weight if it's backed by a life that is lived in proximity to one another. So let us reframe love as giving ourselves to one another. What about works? I think it would be good if we reframe the idea of good works. This isn't about earning our way into heaven. This is about working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I think that working is, if we were to play it out in a relational context, working is serving one another. And then third, this idea of encouragement, we think of encouragement as is me calling someone on staff and saying, good job. Or telling my kids, you did, you did great, but not actually engaged. Encouragement, I believe, is something much deeper from a biblical perspective. Encouragement literally is to bear one another's burdens. How are we to encourage one another in a world that's filled with so much heaviness, so much sadness? We are most encouraged when we actually come into contact with one another's pain, with our suffering, with our trials, as well as our victories. We actually have to get engaged. We have to actually get our hands messy. I like what, what the CEO of, of, of Portland Rescue Mission likes to say. He says, we need pure hearts and dirty hands. And I think that that's a very profound way of saying we've got to be close enough to each other to actually do good. So let's think through this together. Let's take these, these three realities and let's, let's dig in. Let's begin with this idea of loving is giving ourselves to one another. He says, stir up one another to love. And if we think of love as giving ourselves to one another, think of the very words of Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I love to use this verse. I've used it since I started Door of Hope to remind you that evangelism begins in the context of how God's people care for one another. It's, it's not just simply the preacher preaching or the evangelist uh, declaring the good news, but it's God's people. What compels the, the community outside of Door of Hope that what we believe is true is how they see us loving one another. But how is Jesus defining love here? That's what's really important. That's what's at stake here. And if you remember the context of John chapter 13, it was when Jesus went into the upper room. And what did he do? He took off his robe and he wrapped himself. Uh, he wrapped himself in a towel and he grabbed a bucket of water and he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' dirty feet. He gave himself. He was constantly giving them a picture of what it looks like to give yourself away, a love that puts the need of others before our own needs. And I want to uh, just, we're going to end this service today while, with the staff actually going around and washing all of your, I'm just joking. <laughs> You're like, this is the, we're not coming back to this church ever again. Don't worry, I have a phobia of feet. <laughs> so <laughs> I think there's other ways to give ourselves away. Uh, 
I think that the power of this is that loving means doing what is more blessed than receiving, which is giving. It's giving. You know, you know who really has been a, an object lesson for me in love as giving yourself uh, is my daughter, Hattie. She is the most uh, generous soul I know. Every time, she works so hard, she'll go over to her, I mean, she's 12 years old, and, and she's been babysitting lately, but almost always when she makes money, it is for the purpose of buying someone a gift. She wants to actually practically, tangibly give something of herself to others. It's just, it's a way that she's just got, it's like literally like a spiritual gift of gift giving. She thinks about it for months. I guarantee you that my daughter is already thinking about not only what she will get me for Christmas or Darcy for Christmas, but she's thinking about what she's going to get her brother for Christmas. She's thinking about what she's going to get her friends for Christmas. And she will work. She will give herself away for the purpose of giving gifts because she wants people to know that she actually loves them. She doesn't want to just say, Henry and I are, are really good at saying, we love you. But I got to buy myself some clothes, like the sweet blazer I'm wearing today because I'm just now old enough to wear blazers. <laughs> I've been waiting so long, guys. I really have. I'm like, I'm going to own a suit someday, and I'm going to wear it every day. And it, this may be the year. Don't hold me to that. But I, I love little Hattie just has this ability to just give herself. When, when my dad, I remember when Hattie was really little, she was only like, I think she was around five years old when she met my father, and, and she had never met him before. And he was... He was sick, and we warned her she had a thing against cigarette smoking. And my dad smokes packs of cigarettes every day. Uh, and, he, and he's had a couple strokes, and he, he doesn't walk very well. And I pulled up in front of our house, and Hattie was waiting outside. And this is the funny thing. She said to me, before she met him, ever met him, knew nothing about him, uh, uh, and, and I said, I, I'm, I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm ready to see my dad. I hadn't seen him in years. And she goes, well, I love him. And I'm like, you don't even know him. She's like, he's your dad. That means he's my grandpa. I love him. And I'm like, oh, out of the mouths of babes <laughs> comes conviction. Um, and she's just like, I, t I love him. I can't wait to meet him. Um, and, and, I'm, and she meant it. But she followed it up with waiting outside, waiting for us to pull up. And she, I remember she ran down the sidewalk. And my, my dad got out of the car. And he couldn't walk very well. And Hattie just reached out and grabbed his arm and helped him walk up to the front porch and, and sat down. And then my dad, my dad whips out a cigarette and lights it up. And I was like, oh, here's where we'll see if she really loves him. <laughs> and, uh, and she looked at the cigarette, and she looked at me, and then she looked back at my dad, and she looked down at his feet, and she goes, Grandpa. And I'm like, oh, no, no, please, God. And she's like, I really like your boots. <laughs> you know what my dad says to this day? He said that when Hattie touched his arm that day, he goes, she shocked me. He's not a religious man. Like, he's like, literally, it was like energy came out of her body, love. He felt her love giving itself to him freely, without expectation. He'd never given her anything. She'd never even met him before. I think often we can learn a lot about what childlike faith is. It's an unconscious faith that believes the best in others. 
And I think that this is the key for us. We're not to neglect meeting together. Instead, we're to stir one another up in love. And that love is to be a self-giving love, a love that is not trying to figure out what's best for me. How do I protect myself from others, which is often the mode of thinking when people come into church. It's one of the reasons that we don't get engaged in community groups. Because this is way safer than a community group. A community group's awkward. Let's face it. You go to a community... I've been in some weird community groups. Uh, and, And you know what? And I still think it's the best way to get engaged in a in a practical way. Because we, we rub the roughness off each other. We have to get in closeness together to actually grow together. It's a powerful thing, but you have to be willing to give up your, your own ego, your own plans, your own, your own desires. And see, a lot of people sit on the fringes. They never engage, and they sit back, and they, and they accuse the church of not being a place where they felt welcomed. But I want to just ask you, encourage you, if you have not felt welcome, first of all, I want you to know that you are welcome here. We love you. We want to know you. But we can't know you if you don't open up. We can't, we can't know you if you won't take the risk to know us. Because giving ourselves away also requires our willingness to receive love from others. And that's a, I, I sometimes think we need to give a message as much on receiving as we do on giving. Because a lot of people are too scared to receive and too proud to give. And I think that that is, uh, that, or maybe the reverse, too proud to receive and too scared to give. We have to come into proximity with one another, and we have to give ourselves away. Loving means our lives will be eccentric because our center is outside ourselves. And I think that that is so essential. I I think this is important too. Our love for one another is the revealer of our relationship with Christ. We can't say that we love Jesus and refuse to live in proximity with one another. In fact, 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And, And I think that, notice that, Let us love one another for love is from God. Our ability to love sacrificially, to give ourselves away, is something that is supernaturally birthed in us through through that new birth. The outpouring, how do we have assurance of our faith? I think a lot of times when people lack assurance of their salvation, it's because they're living their Christian life in isolation. Because the evidence that we belong to Jesus is often, often noticed by those in our community. It's how we discover our gifts, it's how, it's how we're reminded because we can get alone with our thoughts. And, and when you turn your, your thoughts inward uh, and you live in isolation, I've never seen a Christian walk away from the church. Uh, they'll start off saying, I, you know, I love Jesus. I just don't want to go to church. I don't want to be a part of the community. I'm tired of the hypocrisy. And then they try to live the Christian life alone. And it's not long before they reject it altogether because we need one another. And, and I would argue that it actually is the means by which we can have assurance that we belong to Jesus. It's the only tangible evidence that we're actually Christians. I think also it's important for us to know that our love for one another is the means by which we grow into Christ. So it's not just the means by which we have assurance that we belong to Christ, but it is through our giving ourselves away to others that we grow into maturity. That's what it says in 1 John, 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I love that, that there is, this, there is something transforming us more and more into the likeness of Jesus as we give 
ourselves away. So love means giving ourselves to one another, okay? Secondly, working is not working for our salvation, but working is serving one another. And really, this is all these are interconnected. They're just nuanced facets of one thing, really, which is love. For love is the fulfillment of the law. But working really is serving one another. Galatians 5.13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I, I like the idea of work as service. Uh, and if we think in terms, here's the reason why service can feel like a work uh, instead, of, instead of the gospel transforming us into servants. Uh, and the key is in this is that when we call you to serve, to be a part of a church means that you need to be a part of it, that you recognize that you are the church. And what you contribute to the church makes the church what it is. And we contribute by the power of the Holy Spirit to this reality. And here's the thing, is that often service brings no joy to our lives within the church because we are still controlling when we serve. We are choosing to serve rather than choosing to be servants. And that is a big difference because the heart of the servant is something totally different than just choosing to serve. Because often our motivation for just choosing to serve at this or that time uh, is a way of making ourselves feel good when in reality most of our lives is still very self-centered and self-focused. And I can say that I often find that in, my, in myself of this, these, it's what I call selective sanctification. The little things that we do as Christians to make ourselves feel better about the fact that most of our life does not reflect being a Christian, does not reflect Jesus. But the attitude, the heart of a servant is something that is birthed in us supernaturally. It's creatively birthed when we have, what I shared with you, that, that quote from Bart, a right knowledge of the gospel, a right knowledge of God reminds us that Jesus himself is the chief servant who said the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life Notice the connection of both service and the giving of yourself away. And I think that this is super important for us to understand because another one another statement that I love in the, in the New Testament is 1 Peter um, 4 9 shows hospitality, to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And how do you define hospitality? Because hospitality is not making your dining room look nice before people come over. Hospitality, literally, the definition is to perform humble duties on behalf of someone. We call it the hospitality industry when we talk about people that work in restaurants because they are what? They're serving you when you go in to eat. Now, there's, there's new phrases. People are even trying to figure out ways of, of coming up with names that like diminish the, the service component of being servants. I'm like, I work in the hospitality uh, industry because I don't want to say that I'm a server because I don't like that it says that I serve. But that's exactly what we're to be as Christians to one another, to look at how we can bring the best out of those around us. Service is the gift that comes out of our liberation, actually. I, notice what it, what it said, for you are called to freedom. That means that the gospel sets us free. If the gospel is anything, it is a gospel of liberation. The gospel sets us free, but it's not freedom to do whatever we want whenever we want but it is the freedom to do what is right. And the right thing is to choose to be a servant. I found this to be true. And I, I've watched people uh, within the church that are really engaged and serve in, in 
just great capacity as, as volunteers. And, and what I found in, in observing the community is that the people that seem the most happy are the people that have discovered the mystery and the gift of being a servant. That our life, we were created to give ourselves away. And when we refuse to do that, we actually are fighting against the very thing we were made for, which is what actually makes us so miserable. I feel the worst when I'm selfish. Why do I keep going back to it like a dog returning to its vomit? When I try to protect my time. Do you know why I do these crazy, uh, stupid 30 days of morning prayer, 90 days of reading through Romans. Remember when Tim, and for those of you guys who were here, remember when Tim and I taught through the entire New Testament at 6 a.m. Monday through Friday over three months? If you weren't here for then, you missed out. Uh, the reason I do those things is not because I'm super disciplined and, and I, you know, I want to draw you into my uh, austere dis spiritual disciplines. No, I do it because it's good for me. When Jesus says, it's not, when Jesus says to give ourselves to one another, to serve one another, he's not putting a demand upon us uh, because he likes to put demands on us that are unreasonable. Every demand that God puts on us as a people, he puts on us because it's good for us. It's what's going to bring out the most joy and satisfaction in our lives. And it's weird. Every time I do one of these radical morning, early morning things, I am so blessed by it. I'm blessed by it because I'm spending every morning with God's people. I'm, I'm giving up the comfort of my bed for an extra hour. I'm giving up the joy of, I, I may be verbal when I'm with people, but I'm actually a pretty intense introvert and like my alone time. And I'm giving up my alone time to go begin my day with the community. And I'm like, but weird, why do I feel closer to Jesus when I do that? When it seems like I would feel close to Jesus when I spend tons of time alone with him in a Bible. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have solitude. Don't get me wrong. As Bonhoeffer said, don't trust anyone that can never be alone and don't trust anyone that's never alone. So don't trust anyone that's always alone and don't trust anyone who's never alone is the statement. We need balance in that. But I believe, just as Karl Barth said, whenever I want to pray, I began with grabbing other believers together that we might learn together because even the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he said, pray like this, our Father. All the language is communal language, relational language. It's not isolationist language. The church in America has turned Christianity into an individualistic pursuit and has done great damage to the gospel. So, working is serving one another. I find it a great life-giving joy to get up every morning and make you coffee and pray with you. And I realize, as Paul, we all need to have the, the idea of that the apostle Paul brings. He says, I'm looking forward to coming to you that I might be mutually encouraged together with you. The teacher recognizing that it is the community together by which all of us can grow. Third, I like what he, he goes on to say, is that we are to encourage one another, and I want to present to you encouragement as burden-bearing. And once again, this is all about proximity. Encouragement is not commenting on someone's outfit on Instagram that it, they look really beautiful. I mean, that's encouragement. Sure, we all like a like. 
but it's not the same as engaging or giving ourselves uh, in a sacrificial way to those that are hurting. In fact, I would say that burden bearing is really the essence of Christian encouragement because bearing one another's burdens means mutually suffering, enduring, and letting the reciprocal nuisance of burdens pass over us. Bear one another's burdens, it says in Galatians 6.2, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice it fulfills the law of Christ, which means it can be connect, directly connected to what we really uh, can come to understand love as. Love is self-giving service that bears others' burdens. Bearing means taking advantage of the permission and the possibility of mutually forgiving the experience nuisance. We all carry burdens. And with those burdens, they're a nuisance to our own growth and they're a nuisance to those that come into contact with us. But that's how we get through it. That's how we grow. What do you think speaks volumes to those outside of the faith? It's when we're able to forgive wrongs that are committed against us. It's when we're able to continue to love those that are difficult to love. And just be reminded, whenever we think, man, that person is difficult to love, I always ask the question, I wonder how many people think that about me? Uh, and we're all difficult to love, except for Evan Way. But everyone else is difficult to love. Uh, no, it's true that we all have our glitches. We all have our hiccups. We all have our flaws. And, and the power of the community, actually the depth of the community is dependent upon our willingness to actually enter into people's pain. And here's the thing is that we don't like to enter into people's pain because it's an incredible nuisance. It's an incredible inconvenience to our independence. Several years back, um, my dad... I got a call that my dad was uh, in the hospital in, in Anchorage, and he was, he was really sick. His, his esophagus had ruptured, uh, and there was fear that he wasn't going to make it. There's been many times we've come close to that. My dad's lived a really hard life, uh, and I, I believe God's working on him, uh, even, even, even now, even, even this week, uh, some cool things have been happening. But my dad's been really sick. Uh, and, uh, and a lot of his own making. And I, I get this call, and it was, I remember it was just, it was not a good time. I just had gotten back from Australia. I was trying to re-engage at Door of Hope. I'd already been gone for three weeks. And, uh, and I get this call that I need to fly to Alaska, like right now. And I get, on the, I get on a flight, and I fly up there to Anchorage, and I go into the hospital, and my dad has just come out of this induced coma, and he's sitting there. And I mean, I'm not joking. Like the room, it just smelled like someone sweating alcohol from every pore in their body. He looked horrible. He looked like death. His skin was gray. Uh, and and he had no idea that I was coming up, and I hadn't seen him in a while. And I walked in the room, and he saw me, and he just, and he just I mean, I could just see the shock of my son actually took the time to get on a plane and fly up here when we really have no relationship. He could have just called me and checked on me, but instead I showed up at the room. And, and, and I remember just like, man, this is so, I, the whole flight up, I was frustrated. And I was like, I don't, and, I, I, and here too, keep in mind too that as a pastor, you know how many times I've tried to share the gospel with my dad over the phone? Like, you know what you need to add? You need Jesus. And he starts swearing at me. He's like, if you keep talking about this, I'm gonna hang up. And I, I actually made a decision flying up. I'm like, Lord, I'm frustrated. I don't have time for this. 
but your word says honor your mother and father, and it doesn't say anything about honor them if they were awesome. It just says honor them. And I, and I want to commit to you to, to be a reflection of the gospel, not just one who talks about it. And so I got up there, and I walked in, and dad, my dad saw me, and it was like even the look in his eyes like melted my heart before I even got through the doorway. But then I stepped into the smell, and I went, I'm like, listen, Dad, I'm not, I'm not standing here with you until someone gives you a shower. And so he goes, he's like, well, I've, okay. And I'm, and I'm like, no, seriously, he's like, I'm, nurse is going to have to come in and give you a shower. He's like, no, nurse, give me, I'm like, if she doesn't, I'm going to give you a shower. And, uh, uh, and I remember, like, he's like, well, just help me go to the restroom. He had, he had to get up, and he couldn't walk on his own. And I remember it was like the, I go up behind him and I'm like, my dad's not like this big touchy-feely hugger person. He's like a rough, tough Alaskan. And I, and, and I, I, was, I gave him my arm and I kind of put my arm around him to help him walk. And um, he kind of stumbled and I had to scoot behind him and do what every man, really manly man loves, which is to have another man wrap their arms around you from behind. <laughs> <laughs> with his with his like robe like open so it's just my dad's <laughs> naked body against my chest and and he starts he starts cussing and like getting all mad and i'm like i'm like dad calm down i've got you i've got you and i think just for my dad spending so much time alone just to have his son wrap his arms around him that i could feel my dad relax into my arms like this is this is love. And it's hard for me to even share that story uh, for maybe the embarrassment of, of the situation, but it was a moment where there was real burden sharing. I was literally carrying the weight of my dad's brokenness in my own arms. And it was in that moment that God changed my heart for my father and made me realize that I can never give up on the gospel bringing transformation to his life. And had I not literally gotten behind him and wrapped my arms around him and caught his, his flailing body and helped him go to the restroom, uh, I, think, I don't think we would have had that, that moment of connection because we just haven't spent that much time together through our lives. And I look now and I see this reality of what it means to be burden-bearing. It's so cool just to give you an update. My dad's still doing really horrible physically and sick, but I, I got a connection through my mentor, Gary Brashears, of a pastor in, in Anchorage. And, and this is the picture of what I want for our church. This man, Dan Gerald, I'll say his name because I'm just so blown away by his kindness. Uh, he's, a, he's a pastor in Anchorage, and he works with um, indigenous people down in the Kenai Peninsula where my dad lives. And he called, I, I sent him an email. I said, I, Dan, I'm, my dad lives up there. I'm really worried about him. Gary said, you might be willing to help me figure out someone that could go visit him. And, uh, and Dan called me right back. And we got on the phone and he said, he goes, uh, he goes, a guy like your dad, I'm like, I don't know, maybe someone can take him to church. And he goes, a guy like your dad is not going to go to church. He goes, how about this? Why don't I just go to his house? And I'm like, in the middle of Sterling, Alaska, seriously, in the middle of nowhere, He's like, yeah, I'll just drive over there. He goes, just two questions. Does he have a dog that bites? I'm like, no, he does not. I'm like, does he have a gun that shoots? I'm like, <laughs> he's like, I'm like, yes, he does, but he won't use it. He's actually really gentle. And he's like, I'm going to go over there this week and visit him. Let's see what the Lord does. And so I just encourage you guys, pray for, pray for Al, because I think that he's searching. Even in my last conversation with him, I think he's more open to the gospel than he's ever been. He's not done drinking, but he's but I do believe he's searching. But this is what burden-bearing looks like. 
It's not, burden bearing wouldn't have been me calling dad and saying, I'm sorry you're in the hospital, dad. I love you. You need Jesus. Burden bearing was me going, getting out of my comfort zone, flying all the way, <laughs> practically the North Pole, to go see my dad in the hospital, who I hardly have a relationship with, so that I could catch him before he falls going to the bathroom. And it's in that moment that he knew what the love of Jesus is like. I believe he tasted the love of Jesus in that moment. And I pray that Jesus would use us. If, if, if he's going to do it in our city, he's going to begin by doing it here. Are we willing to do that for one another? That's really my question for you guys today. Because bearing is the opposite of blindness and indifference. By mutually carrying each other's burdens, we do in a small individual way what Jesus did and does in a big way as the Son of God and the perfect Savior. You guys, this is what we need. We need authentic fellowship. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. The greatest freedom of our faith is the freedom to be in community together. Jesus is the means by which we can truly live for one another. I think it's interesting that we looked at, at love as giving and as this, this whole idea of being servants and being burden bearers, and look at Jesus. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and what? Gave himself for me. He is the ultimate giver. He is the servant. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Matthew 20, 28. He is the burden bearer. In 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If Christ lives in us, then we must give ourselves away. We must be servants, and we must carry one another's burdens. Amen?